Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, travelers, and things to episode 108 of the Mumpet Trek Podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. As always, we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Charmin, remind the good folks what those are. I love how your energy level was so different. It was not bad. It was like a NPR level. It's like oh, a pleasant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a host. We're going to talk about knitting. Oh, this hey, week. let's talk some like know sweaty what's balls. really having a comeback. <laughs> knitting. We're talking about Muppets and Star Trek, and we do one-to-one reviews, The Muppet Show and Star Trek The Next Generation. And, and this week we have special guest on The Muppet Show, Jean-Pierre Rampal <laughs> and Star Trek The Next Generation episode, where no one has gone before. Ugh. So please, Steve, if you possibly can, tell us who this person Jean-Pierre Rampal is. What? You've never heard of Jean-Pierre Rampal? Jean-Pierre Rampal? No, I have not. Well, he was a French <laughs> flautist who was mm. famous. That's a great uh, sentence liter- right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, he had his first public recital at age 16, but that wasn't really a big deal because he was already playing second chair in the Marseille Classics Orchestra. His father had first chair. Mm. He was chasing him. Uh, But his parents didn't want him to go into music. They wanted him to become a doctor. And he was in medical school for three years in France during the Nazi occupation. Wow. He was drafted and was going to be sent to do hard labor in Germany. And he ran away to Paris and, like, went into hiding. (laughs) And he, like, secretly got into music school there. And he eventually ended up teaching at the same conservatory he had gone to. And after the war, finally, he got bigger. And he won tons of awards and accolades and he traveled the world. And uh, okay, so you know how they have like flute and piano recitals? Yeah. He was the first guy to do that (laughs) ever. He invented the flute and piano recital, basically, where it's just the two of them. Yeah, because he had this partner. It was if you read between the lines, they may have been they may have been lovers, Uh, Um, but they, they were partners through much of their career. And one played piano and played flute and they're always trying to find other people and they were and finally at one point they were just like let's just do a recital with just us and at the time it was like no one had done that Mm. but now it's everyone so he invented flute and piano stuff (laughs) good for him uh yeah good for him and escaping the nazis Um, pretty big deal (laughs) and then uh in 1958 he finally headed to the u.s and he was widely popular on shows and toured uh, from the 60s to the 80s, and at the height of his popularity in the U.S., he was performing between 150 and 200 concerts a year. Wow. Oh, yeah. So he was big-time stuff, but we have no reason. Like, what does our audience know him from? Nothing. Unless you're a huge flute enthusiast, you're not going to know Jean-Pierre Rampal. There's not. You didn't know I was a secret flautist, and I, I love Rampal. I have his, all his albums. <laughs> it's true. I bought a pair of his shoes once. <laughs> But what's he up to this week on The Muppet Show? Uh, well, backstage, Piggy is upset that she has to do an act with Beauregard because she's all fancy in French. And that is until a real French person is there. And then suddenly it's revealed that Piggy doesn't know any French and she's a fraud. Uh, and then John Pierre is rehearsing in his dressing room and he's joined by a bunch of birds because apparently birds love flute and he loves birds. Uh, that was the backstage plot this week. Than as it was. 
Uh, Kermit introduces Jean-Pierre Rampal on stage, but first we get the Electric Mayhem singing Rockin' Robin, precariously perched in a tree. Kermit introduces Jean-Pierre, who performs a piece with Piggy with Rolf on the piano, and Frank Oz really has to push the limits of what Piggy's voice can do. Mm. <laughs> uh, up next is Bear on Patrol, where Fozzie has arrested a car. Gonzo comes in to interpret, and Fozzie's nose is clamped in a really thin joke that is stretched far too long. Mm-hmm. Following this, we hit Veterinarian's Hospital, but instead of the normal announcer intro, we get a medley of hospital noises, which slowly culminate into a song. Marvin Suggs on the table hops up, forming a conga line with Rolf, Nurse Janet, and Piggy, eventually being joined by other injured patients. After this, we find ourselves at a French bistro where an accordion player serenades and no one can stop from dancing, including plants and dogs and frogs and penguins and everyone. Muppet Labs comes to the stage with Dr. Bunsen Honeydew introducing an electric hammer, which just immediately hurts Beaker. Just an incredible amount. But luckily, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, for like one of the first times, gets his comeuppance and he gets one, too. I noticed that. Yes, that was good. Uh, Muppet News Flash announces that the electric hammer is now on the loose and then it shows up and also assaults the newsman. (laughs) Uh, The show finishes up with a telling of the Pied Piper with Jean-Pierre on the flute. And it's a lively rendition, and they end up going into ease on down the road from the Wiz. And they're joined by those creepy babies that Jarman <laughs> loves so much oh, and a bunch of other really weird looking whatnot children that were almost as disturbing uh, as he, the Pied Piper leads them out of town. Uh, Kermit thanks Jean-Pierre Rampal. Piggy still doesn't speak French. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode of the Muppet Show? With special guest Jean-Pierre Rampal. Jean-Pierre Rampal. <laughs> Jean-Pierre Rampal. <laughs> I feel like uh, uh, they tried to make the most out of a pretty limited host because um, he's not an actor. He doesn't do characters. He, he's just French and plays the flute. So I thought they took those two concepts and really pushed them for all they were worth. Um, like the integration of Miss Piggy speaking French backstage. Yeah, to, that was cute-ish. Eh, and then they tried. And then there's the Pied Piper thing, which was a good use of him for that sketch. Like, that's a good way to have him play his flute and still be in a character of sorts. Um, so good use as a limited host. That's what I was thinking. But on average, I thought the sketches were pretty lackluster and unfunny and... Like they weren't that creative and I was like, so they tried to save the episode with a lot of your, your standby sketches, but it just didn't, nothing really hit for me. It just kind of, it was all kind of low points. I don't know. But the host wasn't at fault. I didn't feel like it wasn't his fault. It's just they booked him and what do you do with him kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I agree. He didn't stretch at all. Yeah. Like we've seen other people come on and just do their shtick, but this felt like, like even a different level. This was like almost Liberace. Yeah, this was really close to Liberace. He's clearly done these songs a million times. And then to add to that, his musical style doesn't really play with them up. It's like he did ease on down the road at the end, but that didn't feel like enough. That's why the Pied Piper sketch worked the most out of anything, because he they had him doing a character that worked with his flute stuff. And he was in a costume and uh, he's playing a more modern song. So it was and, a bit and I agree that the standards were good, you know. Well, no, not not really. One of the standards was good. Um, I thought Veterinarian's Hospital was great. I love the them building music and the conga line. I thought that was great and a great, just a funny thing that you wouldn't expect from Veterinarian's Hospital. Muppet News was, Muppet, uh, like Muppet Labs was good with mm-hmm. the hammer. 
uh, I will say Baron Patrol was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was Baron Patrol was so bad. It, I feel like Baron Patrol was like, hey, we got this really cool antique toy car. We should write a sketch based around it. It didn't work. <laughs> right. And it just didn't work. And it didn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> so some of the bases were good. Some of them were bad. I liked Rock and Robin at the beginning. Yeah, that was fun. Um, tree taps. But you're right. Like, I feel like those that 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 veterinarian's hospital and Rock and Robin in a different episode would be great. And in this episode, they're good, but it's not enough to save this thing. Yeah, it just kind of felt slow and and just didn't nothing really clicked. And we've had a lot of really good ones this season so far. So this yeah. one felt like a and, low point. And I can saw I can solidly say that this is probably my bottom three for the season right now. Same here. And no no offense to Jean Berambal because he didn't do anything bad. It's just like he seemed like he was trying and he had a good time. Yeah. It wasn't like some of the people we've seen on there that have just like look bored and like they're just kind of walking through it. He didn't seem like that. He was trying. So good for him. And I, I don't think I've said that yet about an episode this season. I yeah. think everything's been middling to high so far. This Agreed. Uh, well, good. Well, we I will keep it up next week. But, uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, music this week. Uh, Rock and Robin was first made famous by Bobby Day. It was written by uh, Leon Rene, who had multiple record companies and uh, bought his own record printing plant. But then apparently in I think it was the late 50s, they switched the standard from 78 to 45 RPMs and he couldn't afford to retrofit his factory and just went bust. It's funny. My great uncle's name is Bobby Day. <laughs> Bam. Uh, low hear the gentle lark. Uh, this was the one that he did to the birds. Um, mm. The words are Shakespeare, but the music is from composer Henry Bishop, who is a British composer uh, who hit sort of his big fame in the mid to late 1850s. Uh, but he was the first composer to ever be knighted. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Little Shepherd by Claude Debussy. 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 Claude Debussy, <laughs> who was popular in the late 1800s, <laughs> early 1900s. Um, he was admitted to the Paris Conservatory at age 10. He was like a virtuoso and a prodigy, uh, but he didn't hit his fame. Like He didn't figure it out till he was 40. Mm. But he had this. Everyone thought he was going to be like this crazy prodigy. And he just didn't didn't quite hit it. Until There's hope for us yet. That's right. Uh, we could be like Claude Debussy. 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 He's on down the road from The Wiz, as mentioned. This actually spent five weeks at the number one spot after it was recorded by the hot disco group Consumer Rapport. Okay. Not Report. Rapport. At the Colbert Rapport, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think was the best momentary moment this week? Uh, even though it was a pretty lackluster sketch for me, I'm going to give it to the French sidewalk number with the accordion player. Um, there was a lot That's going true. on, a lot of trees and other Muppets and they were all swaying at the same time and it was all a huge set and everything. So it was, it was an impressive technical number, but not with the content it was not impressive. It just kind of went on and didn't really, it just did nothing. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm gonna give it to Rock and Robin. I thought that the mm. the effect in the tree with all of them being in different limbs and sort of the technicality of having that's true. Either the the camera tricks they used to pull that off, or the set they had to build to pull that off. Either one is impressive. Kind of blue screen, black screen effect thing they did must have done with yeah. that too. And I think they've done it before, but having like a clear frame of the tree, I think, really helped them carry it off 
really successfully where we have seen them not carry it off as successfully before. True. Just a couple times. Just a few times has been rough. Yeah. Uh, so, Jordan, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? Well, we finally get out of this rut of two bad episodes in a row with one that's a more standard episode of Next Generation called Where No One Has Gone Yeah, I was about to say, this one's not bad. It's okay. It's all right. It's Yeah, I'm not making any big claims about this thing. Um, <laughs> the Enterprise is set to meet up with a Mr. K- Kaczynski and his assistant. And apparently Mr. Kaczynski has been making waves recently because he's been able to increase the warp drive efficiency of a few other Starfleet vessels. So Picard and Riker are skeptical of this actually working on the Enterprise, but they let him on board because Starfleet's ordering them to do so. Um, they want him to, them to do the same thing with the Enterprise warp drive. So Kaczynski comes onto the ship with his assistant, who's this odd-looking and quiet alien guy. And Kaczynski is immediately revealed to be a huge pompous dick who thinks that he's a genius and everyone else is a moron. <laughs> Uh, Kaczynski and his assistant get to work on the engines and Wesley takes an interest in what the assistant is doing. So he sits down next to him and he actually starts giving suggestions to the assistant, which very much impresses the guy. And suddenly the assistant begins to phase in and out of existence while holding onto his console. And the Enterprise is shot forward into an unknown part of a neighboring galaxy, traveling millions of light years in seconds. And Kaczynski is super impressed with himself because he thinks he did this. But Picard tells him to just redo the process so they can get back home. And Wesley tries to tell Riker that he saw this guy phase out of existence, the assistant, but it wasn't Kaczynski that did anything, but Riker won't listen to him. So they try to do it again. The Traveler phases again, but this time they are shot to a place beyond their knowledge of the universe, beyond everything. But that time, Riker saw the Traveler phasing as well. And the Traveler is drained by using his ability again, and he loses consciousness. Meanwhile, in this strange part of the universe, the thoughts of the crew can become reality. So Worf sees his pet childhood pet Targ. Uh, one person becomes a ballerina. Another person's a violinist, which shows how lame the dreams of these crew members are. <laughs> this is all they're thinking about. And Picard gets to have a conversation with his dead mother. Um, and Picard tells everyone on board then to be careful what they're thinking, because anything could happen if they, be, they think of errant thoughts, something could go wrong. And he goes to the sick bay to have the traveler revived. Um, the traveler apologizes when he wakes up and says he never meant to harm any of the crew and that he's from a distant world and was using Mr. Kaczynski as a way to get on different ships and explore the Federation. And the traveler says that he was able to make the ship travel such a huge distance using his thoughts to power the ship and that even though he is dying, he will help them return to their own place in the universe. Uh, much to Wesley's chagrin, he doesn't want anything bad to happen to this guy, his new friend. Uh, so before Picard can leave, though, the Traveler privately tells him that he's searching the universe for people like Wesley Crutcher, Crusher and that he is a childhood prodigy and that Picard should not tell him this, but nurture him so that his skills can grow. And Picard and the Traveler had the whole crew use their thoughts to help power up the Traveler's own thoughts so that he might have enough strength to send them home. And this effort's a success. They are sent home, but the Traveler phases out of existence entirely. And in the end, Picard gives Wesley a field commission to acting ensign so he can now officially work on the ship and enter the bridge without being yelled at. So, uh, Steve, what did you think of where no one has gone before? Okay, some things I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did love Kaczynski, Kaczynski the, the guest engineer. I thought that actor did very well. Yeah, me too. I love the pompous. I love 
the interplay between him and Riker and the, the like, I love getting to see the dynamic shift with Picard, like clearly not wanting to deal with the Starfleet crap and him <laughs> sending Riker to deal with it. And Riker having to be on his heels. Like all that was interesting dynamic. Yeah. Um, that was cool to see. And some of the visual effects are really good. This episode, the blue flashy zone was pretty darn good. It was pretty cool looking. Um, so some issues I had, um, how did no prior ships figure out this was weird? Well, no prior ship like, was sent understand. to a different part of the galaxy like this one was. I know. And even that's kind of questionable how that happened. Like, I understand the idea like Wesley is a genius beyond genius. Oh, look at he is the chosen one. Like, I was like, okay, guy, come on. Let's get past it. That one little change he made was enough to send you across well, the that's galaxy. That's the thing that's not clear to me either is that. Is it what Wesley did that caused this error to happen? Is that that wasn't made clear to me? It was just like I wasn't sure why right. the traveler used his powers to send the ship out here. I didn't know why it happened. It didn't make a lot of so sense. Qu- to me. Question to you. So this is this is gonna this is we're going we're going question. We got too much. Let's not jump too far in the future. But Will Wheaton's character Wesley Crusher becomes some sort of interdimensional hopping being at some point, right? Yes, because the traveler returns, and so is that. So is Wesley then become a traveler? I know we're getting way too far into the future, but it's fair speculation. And if you want to ask, and you don't mind being spoiled for you in a sense, then yes, he does. <laughs> Here's the thing: I already know these things. Like I already know enough and some. Right. You find out not for not too long, in like yeah, two so, more years so, of the podcast. So what does he turn into? Traveler. So he's one. So maybe that's what that moment was. Was the traveler recognizing a fellow traveler? Well, he's not already a traveler. He has to become no, but, one. You're it, right, but like, but how how is he chosen for that? He basically because the traveler is looking for really smart, genius people who look at the universe in a certain way. So he, um, Wesley doesn't have any innate special abilities or alien DNA or something like that. He's just right, but he is that way. That's what yeah, I'm saying. He's looking for he's that, looking for candidates to become travelers, basically. And I think that's probably what we were shown there is that not only is this kid like a candidate for traveler, but he would make an exceptional traveler, right? Because he took what this guy was able to do and like enhance it by a thousand fold. Yeah, maybe that's what additionally it, to me. So I thought it was bad writing or something or editing because I it wasn't clear to me what happened and why they were jumped in the so far in the galaxy. Like, was it Wesley's fault? Was the traveler did the traveler make a misconcept like miscalculation? Like maybe maybe Wesley is like the chosen one <laughs> foretold of traveler legend. <laughs> that's the way Gene Roddenberry would want it. He wanted Wesley to be be like the surrogate Gene Roddenberry and be the hero of the universe. <laughs> And I'm with it. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm I'm not sure where I left off for dislikes or likes. Uh, okay. So, yeah, no prior fix figured out something was weird. But you make a good point. It wasn't that big of a thing before. Um, why wasn't anyone just suspicious of this random alien from a race that presumably no one's seen before that has a name no one can pronounce? They should have been. Why is no one sus- why is no one suspicious of this? How did he get in in the first place? Um, this felt a little lame and repetitive in that, like, ah, more crew members acting in a way they normally wouldn't. Oh, in weird illusions overtaking the ship. We're like five episodes in, and we've all see- already seen one of these twice, and the other one once. What is this? It is this the whole show? Uh, 
<laughs> you're, you're not wrong. They get more ideas okay. later on. They, I, they I get... hope it. I hope so. But I was just like, man, we're just doing the same things already. We're not that far in, guys. It's almost like they didn't have um, a lot of creative ideas yet until they saw what they're going to do with this crew. And they're like, yeah. all of a sudden it clicked. And they're like, OK, now we can write some stories of these people, you know, like these. All right. And then, OK, yeah. so here's a Star Trek question for you. Sure. Just like universe question. So the idea is in this day and age, there's like medicine that can heal almost anything and cure almost anything. There is matter changers that can make food and beverages for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. At like no cost. Right. They've ended everyone poverty. Everyone has their needs met. And I think in one of the movies, probably first contact when John Lee Picard is trying to explain to, uh, what's her face, the female character about like how the future works, like with people's needs met, people are encouraged to find work that means something to them or something like that. What'd you say? I couldn't understand. <laughs> I don't know. I Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> With our needs met. There <laughs> so we go. I'm like slipping into Sean Connery all With our needs met. <laughs> I'm Captain Picard. People are free to pursue their passions. There you go. <laughs> uh, or something like that. But the thing is, like, in this one, everyone's imagining what they would be if they could be anything. But in this universe, they can literally be anything. <laughs> so why are these their dreams? Why is that woman not a dancer? Why is that man not in a four-piece orchestra? Maybe it's because... I There's, don't understand. If I had to guess the Star Trek attitude for that, it's that that's their hobby, something they like doing that relaxes them. But maybe it wasn't what they're really best at. And they their for their career, they chose to do what they are really good at. And they get a lot of fulfillment yeah, out of you it. You don't need a career. But they, they get fulfillment is, out of it. This is why I think Star Trek fundamentally doesn't work. We're thinking about it because I think about if this really happened, if right now. They're like, hey, guys, matter converters exist. You can get a hamburger from a wall anytime you want. It'll be the best hamburger you had every time. (laughs) Society would fall apart as people would just eat and drink themselves to death. (laughs) No one would go to work. Oh, yeah. And there's medicine for everything for free. Just go to a machine. You like put your dick in it. It scans the thing (laughs) and it gives you a shot. (laughs) Put your dick in it. Or what, whatever body parts hurting you, you put it in the machine. It scans or whatever. Give me a no, it's shot. always your dick. It's got to be your dick every time. So it's just like society would fall apart of this shit existing right now. No one would do anything. I think the only way it would work is if we had, in concurrence with these matter replicators, you had really sophisticated robots. Because otherwise, you're right. No one would choose to be a construction worker. Like no one chooses that job because they they want to do it. It's 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 a matter of necessity. What they they could be good at, so they do it for good money. But they're not going to do that if they don't have to. So you're right. Like infrastructure so, would so collapse. Hold on, so hold on though. Hold on though. You're right. But okay. So hold on. So help me with timeline stuff. So where does like the matter converter stuff come into like Star Trek timeline from a show perspective? Is there a show without it? Well, yes. Without so the replicator in the original series, those were not replicators. Okay. They were food synthesizers, which are, they can make food and, and smaller items, some things, but they can't replicate anything. There's no holodecks standardly in, right. in the original series. There's very early holodecks, even in Enterprise, like what takes place before the original series, but they're very limited. And when they okay, go outside so that of that. that explains it then. Exactly. Because in the Kelvin universe, the Kelvin timeline. There's a scene where Chris Pine pulls up and there's all these just dudes, not robots, dudes doing construction on these ships. Mm-hmm. 
So I was like, why would they want to do that? And it's because the food replicator thing didn't exist yet. And they still had a free society where they hadn't supposedly could, robots yet. You still could choose what you want to do. But like, it, yeah, it doesn't it does. That part doesn't make a whole lot of sense that a lot of the infrastructure things, because they don't have a lot of sophisticated robots. Like, I but, want that woman to drop out of Starfleet and go be a dancer. Yeah. If she really I wants want that to. for her, she should. And why would you take orders from a, like a superior officer? Like if you never had to again, <laughs> like what? Would, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> that's a little um, hand wavy thing you kind of have to do for. So yeah. So that's, that, that was like my, I had literally put Star Trek question. Okay. Star Trek question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you got any cool factoids now that we've picked? Well, this before I do that, um, oh. I would say along with what you said, it, it being a very, not a very impressive episode, but it is important for Star Trek lore because of the traveler and Wesley and all that stuff comes yeah. back later on. And something I didn't even remember, or I don't think I ever knew. Um, Gary Seven from the original series is related to the Travelers, which I don't. It was on Memory Alpha, which is a um, which is just for canon stuff, not for books. And apparently, Gary Seven was sent to America at that time by the Travelers. He works with the Travelers, um, which I had no idea. And that that shapeshifter woman that turns into a cat. She's a Traveler as well, and he was sent there when two Travelers died. And so he was sent to replace them. And that was going to be the spinoff show is him being there in yeah. 1960s, whatever America. So I was like, oh, wow, I had no idea they were connected to that. So that's interesting. Um, cool. Kind of a factoid as well. But yeah, Kaczynski, I also liked being ridiculously love to hate kind of character. Um, but yeah, but kind of a middling episode otherwise. But it's just is it interesting, but not really. It's just weird. He, he reminds me a little bit of Chris Kattan. I thought that same thing as soon as he walked in. I said it to my wife. Yeah. I was like, it's like Chris Kattan. Uh, so trivia, uh, Eric Menyuk, who played the Traveler, uh, originally auditioned for the part of Data, but he did not get it. But they liked him, so they kept him on board for a guest role. So he got to be on Star Trek. He is kind all. of an odd looking guy. Yeah, he's unusual. Um, while shooting the scene where Riker tells Picard, it wasn't him. It never was. It was his assistant. Jonathan Frakes had some difficulty saying that line and eventually could not say it without breaking into laughter. So according to Patrick Stewart, the event soon spread like a brush fire, according to him, throughout the set to the point where the sound mixer, Alan Bernard, had to wheel his sound cart off the set so he could also because he could also not stop laughing. And Patrick Stewart later recalled this story to Frakes at a 2012 Comic-Con um, where he still couldn't say the phrase very well to this day. <laughs> so that was pretty fun. Um in the original teleplay, uh, Kaczynski, because there was a whole script that got thrown out uh, originally, and they were going to fire the writer and then found out that he was under contract, so they couldn't fire him. So they had him rewrite the episode. And the original script, Kaczynski was responsible for both the warp effect and the accident. And he also had a son who felt that his father was more interested in his work than him. And the hallucinations were much more bizarre than in the actual episode. Uh, apparently, in the original, Jack Crusher, uh, Wesley Crusher's father, appeared to Picard and Beverly. Um, and the Enterprise appeared inside of a cosmological egg. And when the starship escaped, it exploded and caused the birth of a new universe. And as a sort of biblical pun of the Genesis creation narrative, the Enterprise spends six days missing and Picard's orders, uh, Picard orders the next day to be a day of rest, which all sounds not good. So I'm glad they got rid of most of that. <laughs> I'd be OK with them seeing Jack Crusher as opposed to seeing his mom. But other than that, that was all. Yeah, true. I can see that. Yeah. So what are our Trek connection, Muppet connections this time around? All right. So I'm going to warn you. The first one sucks. 
<laughs> just sucks. Eric Menyuk uh, was in the movie The Air Up There, which features Kevin Bacon. And in the Muppets episode, the newer TV show, there's around the writer's table, a discussion of pitching a dance contest. And someone suggests that Kevin Bacon be the host. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. There you go. Yeah. Just three. Only three degrees. Uh, Here's the real one. Bill Yeager, who played Argyle, the chief engineer. uh, He's a working actor who with uh, 140 credits to his name. One of those credits, he had a minor role in Edward Scissorhands. And Edward Scissorhands features both Alan Arkin and Vincent Price, both of which were Muppet Show guest stars. Mm-hmm. And it was created by Tim Burton, uh, who was one of the Muppeteers in the big finale shot of the Muppet movie. That's right. I remember you telling me that. Edward Scissorhands opened it all up. And that Bill Yeager guy hey. playing Argyle. Uh, Biff. Biff Yeager. Oh, Biff Yeager. <laughs> yeah. He uh, so that Argyle character is a big feature on this other podcast I loved called Dork Trek. It's kind of out of commission now. And I think I talked about it in the past, but it was made by this guy who's a shock jock DJ and he lost his job at the radio station. And so he started a, a, a podcast in his free time of Star Trek, the next generation uh, episode reviews. And he had not really seen the whole thing all the way through. So with him and his friends talking about each episode, there's a lot of cursing, they a lot of off color jokes and stuff. And they made this ongoing joke about Argyle because he doesn't come back anymore. And so he asked the question in one of the episodes, like, hey, where's that fucking Argyle guy? Where'd he go? And then they made this joke that he's basically became an alcoholic and he's up in the Jeffries tubes, like drinking <laughs> the episodes. Yeah. So he's there for the whole series. But we never see him again. He's just up there <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, I think I saw he he's in two episodes, I think was the yeah. listing. Chief Engineer Argyle just got really drunk and never came back. <laughs> but uh, these are basically the same episode, weren't they, Steve? Yeah, that's right. Well, you have more, so you should go first. I will. Uh, Both episodes have someone turning out to be more than we expected. Uh, Marvin Skuggs on the operating table under the gown slowly reveals himself to be wearing an outlandish outfit and having maracas and the traveler (laughs) being much more than a lowly assistant. (laughs) I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Both feature classical music, the flouting of Jean-Pierre Rampal (laughs) and the crewman playing with the four piece uh, little quartet there. Nice. I hate when they flout around that flouting. Yeah. Flouting their flutes. Uh, both have someone claiming to have much more knowledge than they actually do. Uh, Miss Piggy claiming to be fluent in French when she actually knows nothing. And Mr. Kaczynski claiming to be a genius with warp drive technology when he doesn't know shit. Ooh, nice. <laughs> wow, that joke ended much more abruptly than I thought it would. <laughs> he doesn't know shit. Doesn't know shit. Uh, yeah, I've got something kind of similar. Uh, both feature people being led somewhere via complete nonsense. Uh, the crew ending up millions of light years away following that phony and the rats leaving town because of because of flute music. Oh, I like it. Uh, both have someone experimenting with technology that goes terribly wrong. Mr. Kaczynski and the tra- traveler with the Enterprise's warp drive and Dr. Bunsen Honeydew with the electric sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> and they both paid a terrible price. That's right. I'm uh, really glad Dr. Bunsen Honeydew got hit this week. I am too. It's about time. About time. Justice for Beaker. Poor Beaker. <laughs> oh, God. What's that? No. Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right. It's the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other and then vice versa. So, what you got for us, Steve? This week, Trek to Muppets, I'm going to bring over the Traveler to replace Jean Pierre Rampal. 
uh, taking the entire Muppet show to that crazy blue light zone uh, so that all of the things on stage can become real and all of the electric mayhem actually become birds singing rock and roll. You can see it extend through the entire episode. Oh, I like it. See? <laughs> uh, Trek to Muppets, I'll have Mr. Kaczynski permanently replace pops on the muppet show <laughs> at the beginning of each episode you'd have because talking smack to each guest stars they enter yeah, the muppet theater heard you exactly well i've never heard of you <laughs> you heard of me i play flute very well my free time yes, you haven't they haven't written the history books yet <laughs> would he be a great he'd be a great uh, person to greet that you at the would door be good yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Moments to Trek, I'm going to bring over Jean-Pierre from Paul and replace uh, Kaczynski because somehow him playing the flute to get the, uh, the, the the ship to go faster and everyone thinking it's complete bullshit makes total sense in my mind. <laughs> no, no, stood back. I'm going to flute it faster. Captain, what the fuck does he mean? I don't know. He's got to be making this up. <laughs> Somebody has flute. 15, Captain. <laughs> He's playing with the harmonics, as they always talk about that all the yeah, time. Yeah, the harmonics. <laughs> uh, Muppets of Star Trek. I'm going to have Jean-Pierre Rampal uh, <laughs> trade places with the Traveler. Uh, he just pull out his flute to play it to activate the spooky phasing powers. <laughs> <laughs> you and I had similar routes. Yeah, there. we did. And he'd be just yeah. as creepy towards Wesley with his French accent as the Traveler was. Yeah, man. They were so close in those scenes. It was really creepy and kind of freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that brings us to the end of episode 108 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Paul Simon. And the next generation episode, Lonely Among Us. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.